this session, Michael Johnston, who is, uh, has worked across a range of industries in public and private sectors in education, business and human resources management, and he'll be speaking to us today about Taming the Beast, a challenging new initiative. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you, Hamid, for the invitation to come along. I feel a bit of a, an inner because I don't possess the distinguished uh, economic uh, credentials that you have all got. Uh, and, uh, and my paper is somewhat uh, more focused than the more global presentation. How's that? Testing one, two, three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, taming the beast. It's going to be about development corporations. How many have heard of develop development corporations? Oh, quite a few. That's great. Brilliant. So for the rest of you, it'll be a little bit of learning. The law locks up the man or woman who steals the goose from off the common, but lets the greater villain loose who steals the common off the goose. <laughs> the systematic degradation of the commons must be contained and reversed if future generations are to survive and prosper. The air we breathe, the temperatures in which we live, and extreme weather events are now risking our very existence. How did we get into this mess? What contribution have corporations made towards creating the dire circumstances we now face? What can we do to harness the power of modern corporations to solve these meta issues? The precipice we face takes its rise from the Industrial Revolution, but has roots that extend far beyond the age of steam, even into prehistory, the Bible, Magna Carta, Enclosure Acts, and so forth. To make our analysis manageable, let's start around 1800, pivotal time. In the early 1800s, we shifted away <coughs> from enterprises based on charters or warrants by appointment to His Majesty the King or Queen, or enterprises established by an act of the local legislature, to enterprises registered pursuant to acts of incorporation. These revolutionary new acts enabled citizens to establish companies that limited their risk to the amount they invested in the company. Previously, company liability extended to the physical assets of the owner or owners that resulted in some cases in the complete ruination of such owners if the creditors of a failed enterprise exercised their rights to the legal limits. The first legislative initiative to enable free incorporation is attributed to the state of New York in 1811, at least that's what Google told me. The effects of these new acts were extraordinary. They fuelled the nascent industrial revolution by, enable, by enabling easy access to capital. You could now invest in an enterprise without losing your shirt through limited liability and also provide a perpetual succession. So you no longer had to wind up the corporation upon the death of the owner. The money flowed in and the industrial revolution now harnessing coal, steam, rapid transport, invention and innovation took off. There has been 200 years of amazing prosperity and productivity. Nirvana and the golden age had arrived. Jobs, jobs, jobs. The famous Jobson growth was probably born around this time. There were seemingly no limits. Corporations flourished. Tremendous progress accompanied this burst of revolutionary energy. But was there a dark side? Were there any unforeseen and unintended consequences attached to this burst of entrepreneurial zeal? Indeed, there were. For in our enthusiasm, in, in, for in our enthusiasm to minimise investor 
uh, losses for failed enterprise, we had failed to protect society from the failures enterprises visited upon society. These failures were not always obvious and in fairness were often unintended. The burning of fossil fuel was not recognised as, recognised as aggravating the economy and the environment and when ultimately its consequences were recognised, economists invented excuses that left the problem in society's lap as exogenous variables or externalities, matters over which the enterprise had little or no control. Pollution and its consequences went ahead unabated. Another major driver towards a precipice we now face occurred in commercial law where the onus was placed on the corporation to promote, protect and advance the interests of shareholders as almost the exclusive obligation of the corporation. Maximisation of shareholder value became the dominant mantra and in practice the primary legal obligation required of the corporation. In granting this largesse to minimise investor losses and provide perpetual succession to corporations, thus massively oiling the wheels of the Industrial Revolution, we had failed to obtain a societal quid pro quo. In the early days of incorporation of limited liability uh, uh, companies, it was mostly assumed that such companies would provide a public benefit, but there was no legislative requirement to this effect. Most corporations seeking registration were building roads, dams, canals, railways, factories, thus providing an obvious public benefit, quote unquote. It's not as if nobody had any, any thoughts about this, since one corporation's application for registration as a limited liability company in the state of Massachusetts in 1837 was refused, on the grounds that the proposed corporation did not provide a public benefit. In this instance, the enterprise, in its articles of association, sought merely to establish a carriage company. The registration had been opposed by individual journeymen because it would have the effect of taking from us, quote, of taking from us the profits of our art, which has cost us years of labour to obtain and which we consider to be our exclusive, exclusive privilege to enjoy, unquote. The similarity of this analogy with modern day contests between taxi drivers and Uber drivers is not lost on us. In circumstances where unbridled capitalism has had deleterious consequences, we, the community, have passed laws to govern and restrict their activities. Thus, we've been able to remove children from the factories and coal mines, provided safer working places, legislated for minimum wages, obtained purer food, penalised fraudulent behaviour and so on. Here is the pointy end of this proposition. While we have made inroads towards containing and restricting corporate behaviour or misbehaviour through penalties and sanctions, it is clear from recent events that there is a long way to go. The GFC taught us that greed dominated consideration of the financial instruments that nearly brought the global financial system to its knees. Then, revelations of impropriety in our own Banking Royal Commission have shocked the community which previously held banks as revered and trusted models of corporate culture. Might be some debate about that. It would appear that even the government, which resisted establishing the Royal Commission, has been shocked by the evidence arising from it. There is a common driver that has edged us, edged us to the precipice we now face, and it is simply this. 
sole reliance on maximising shareholder value is not serving our community or preserving our commons. This reliance has resulted in, amongst other things, a focus on short-term outcomes. The stock market's relying on cycles as short as four months, quarterly reports. Deleterious management practices, practices including obscene uh, CEO salaries and remuneration policies. Retention of outmoded command and control organisation frameworks that owe their existence more to Roman legions than modern day requirements. Corporate malfeasance, ignoring the long-term interests of society, the commons. If it's true in banking and finance, as revealed in the Royal Commission, then it is likely true in many, if not all, other industries. What is to be done to protect us from these marauding modern-day robber barons? A new province for corporate culture is required. There have been many attempts to improve the moral actions of corporations around the globe. These have included inter alia overnight socialism, cooperatives, worker ownership, elected worker directors, semi-autonomous work groups, corporate social responsibility, etc. The list is endless. However, they barely scratch the surface of this beast we know as capitalism. Can we tame the beast? Can we harness the energy, productivity and creativity of capitalism towards more socially acceptable outcomes? There is a tiny light at the end of the tunnel which is attracting growing interest around the world. It is the creation of benefit corporations. I'm delighted that so many of you know or already know about them. It's hard to pinpoint an exact origin of the concept as it probably owes its provenance to many contributing factors. However, a few entrepreneurs dissatisfied with their experiences of corporate life got together to set some standards that they thought would satisfy the elements required for companies to be socially responsible and provide a public benefit. They formed a non-profit standards evaluation enterprise called BLAB. The standards are comprehensive and demanding. They are not a walk in the park. The accreditation is sought on a voluntary basis and is maintained by regular assessments. Some of you will be familiar with the quality accreditation movement, ISO 9000. BLAB is similar to quality accreditation insofar as enterprises seek certification by satisfying the standards and, if successful, and obtain an accreditation as, quote, a B-Lab certified organisation, unquote. Some firms can take years to acquire the certification, as have many corporations in trying to obtain the quality accreditation. There are now many thousands of companies across the globe that have achieved B-Lab certification, but most are concentrated in America. There are many in Australia, uh, about 230, uh, two of which have been recognised as, recognised as best for the world, as distinct from best in the world, best for the world. An essential driver of this initiative is that the certification is provided by an independent third party. While the B-Lab initi initiative has been developing, some legislators in the US decided to put the public benefit ideas into corporate law, with the result that there are now some 31 states and the District of Columbia which have amended their corporate law to provide for the registration of benefit corporations. This registration requires them in their governance and articles of association to commit to providing a public good as well as obtaining profit. The registered benefit corporations are required to report on the impact 
of their governance and articles of association, as well as the traditional financial profit and loss accounts. Italy has promulgated a national law to recognise benefit corporations. Many other companies are looking at the idea. Effectively, the new legislation provides the legal architecture for firms to support the acquisition of a social conscience. The new laws now legitimise the satisfaction of both profit-making and the provision of a public benefit. In other words, they can now walk and chew gum at the same time, serving the needs of shareholders and stakeholders simultaneously and legitimately. Directors of benefit corporations are protected from shareholder lawsuits in the event that dissatisfied shareholders object to company efforts to fulfil its public benefit obligations. We can name at least four banks whose CEOs wish they'd paid more attention to their ethical public interest obligations than their sole pursuit of profits as they squirm before Commissioner Hain, or more precisely, before Senior Counsel Rowena Orr. Of course, many traditional firms espouse the values of being good corporate citizens in their CSR undertakings, their missions and visions, often found framed in the reception area of corporate headquarters. But in a con contest between corporate citizenship and shareholder value, the latter wins every time, and it is backed up by current legislation and common law. Why would enterprises embark upon the demanding challenge of becoming a benefit corporation? More bloody red tape is the usual frequent response from the captains of industry. Note the strident objections from senior corporate spokesmen when the ASX recently attempted to strengthen their protocols regarding, the corporate, regarding corporate citizenship. Some of those captains included the very CEOs who contributed to the train wreck that has emerged before the Hain Royal Commission, including the former CEO of the CBA. Well, evidence is mounting that companies who manage their enterprises have in regard to stakeholder interests, as well as shareholder interests, actually outperform their competitors across all performance indicators, including profit. There are over 40 articles examining this trend in sources as diverse as Harvard Business Review, The Economist, Deloitte, Accenture, Goldman Sachs and MIT. The overarching conclusion is that firms who practice higher standards of governance reduce financial risk and increase profit in the long term. In other words, pursuing public benefit is good for business. The model US legislation defines general public benefit as, quote, benefit corporations will have a material positive impact on society and the environment taken as a whole as assessed against a third party standard from the business and operations of a benefit corporation. Generally speaking, this has been interpreted to include employees, suppliers, customers, community, government and the environment, as well as shareholders. In summary, we've travelled a long way since the 1800s, but the holy grail of a sustainable planet is now endangered by a corporate culture whose sole pursuit of profit foists all of its negative outcomes on society. The old saw put it this way, capitalise your profits and socialise your losses. This is no longer either appropriate or sustainable. A new province for corporate culture is long overdue and benefit corporations provide a potential avenue to coalesce the forces of profit and the forces for good. We need to rediscover the commons in its literal and metaphorical sense.
The size and destiny of the corporate sector has to be harnessed, energised and directed towards mitigating, rectifying and solving the myriad problems that beset our society, if there's to be any hope for our future generations. The window of opportunity is closing on us very fast. There is no time to lose. Benefit corporations provide a useful new initiative that deserves a reflection and support. Let's revisit Anon's poem. The law locks up the man or woman who steals the goose from off the common, but lets the greater villain loose who steals the common off the goose. We must turn the greater villains of rapaciousness and greed into the better angels of a fairer, sustainable and egalitarian commons. Thank you.